Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy tweeted Monday in response to the FBI search of Donald Trump's Florida home, quote, The Department of Justice has reached an intolerable state of weaponized politicization, adding, Attorney General Garland, preserve your documents and clear your calendar. We'll look at the intense blowback from Republican officials and what we know about the FBI raid so far. Join us after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. On Monday, the FBI executed a search of former President Donald Trump's Palm Beach, Florida home after getting a warrant from a federal judge. It's a significant and unprecedented step, and it's triggered intense backlash from a broad range of top Republican officials. Here to talk about the search and the law is Jessica Levinson, Loyola Law School professor and host of Passing Judgment. Hi, Jessica. Hi, good to be back. Good to have you. Here to talk about the reaction from the GOP is Zach Beecham, senior correspondent at Vox. Hi, Zach. Hello. Happy to be back on. Glad you're happy to be back on. Because I'm not sure we're going to be talking about a lot of happy things today. No, no, not, not Zach, a happy topic. Well, well, Zach, start with the reaction from California's ranking Republican from Bakersfield, Kevin McCarthy. How did he react to news of the raid? So McCarthy's tweet, because like now political reactions come in tweets, right? Like it was one of the most striking of all. And, and I, you know, I, I I looked like I looked around the various different leading Republicans and McCarthy's really stood out, not only because of what he said, which is that the raid was clearly politicized. He said, I've seen enough, but also that he vowed to engage in an investigation of Attorney General Merrick Garland and his reasons for authorizing the raid, but also that he might, and in fact, probably will have the power to act on this come January, because in November, he's likely to, Republicans are likely to win the House, and McCarthy is likely to become Speaker of the House, giving him subpoena power. So there's no evidence to support any of this, by the way. There's no, not a single iota of evidence that this was improper, politically motivated in any way. It could end up being a mistake, an unjustified search warrant. Those things happen, but it's just McCarthy vowed to launch essentially a politicized response based on phantom politicization. It's, it's absolutely wild. 
And as you pointed out, the third ranking House Republican, Elise Stefanik, did the same thing, calling for an immediate investigation and accountability into, quote, Joe Biden and his administration's weaponizing this Justice Department against their political opponents. Jessica, Zach is saying that they are not showing how this was politically motivated, as they are accusing. But on the other side of this, the Department of Justice really has to show a lot of evidence to get a judge to approve a warrant. Can you remind us of the the legal hoops they have to jump through to get this? Absolutely. And they're not insignificant. So what you need here is a federal law enforcement officer swearing under oath that there's evidence of two things. The first is that there's probable cause that a crime was committed. The second is that there's probable cause that evidence of that crime is where they want to execute the search warrant. In this case, where are they executing the search warrant in the former president's private residence, Mar-a-Lago? After that, after a law enforcement officer has sworn to this under oath, then this goes to a federal judge, a magistrate judge, who will independently make an assessment as to whether or not there's actually enough evidence there, whether or not the probable cause standard is met. And let's be honest, when it comes to this standard, everybody is well aware that we're talking about a former president, that there's no historic analog. And I think everybody's really dotting their I's and crossing their T's. Mm. At that point, the FBI can go in and execute the search warrant. The evidence indicates that in this case, it was a no-knock warrant, meaning that they didn't want to give anybody notice because potentially they were worried that evidence would be destroyed. All of these legal hurdles to your question indicate that there are safeguards in place. And the punchline here is that what we're watching are legal processes play out. This is not a political process. The FBI director is chosen by the former president, Trump. The Department of Justice is an independent agency. I think it is so sad that we're politicizing, again, the legal process playing out. Yes, as you're pointing out, because this is a former president within the Department of Justice as well, it would have had to be signed off by people like the head of the FBI, Christopher Wray, who is a Trump appointee, and potentially even by Merrick Garland himself. Zach, what do we know so far about why this warrant was issued? Jessica touched on this, but I'm curious if we've heard anything more about whether it was classified information that they were seeking and so on. The answer to your question is, is basically nothing, right? We know that they were looking at for documents that Trump had brought home with him to the White House, or sorry, to Mar-a-Lago, formerly referred to as the Winter White House when Trump was president. Um, but we, uh, we, we know that those documents probably shouldn't have been brought home, um, at least based on the public reporting, right? We, maybe this will change as the narrative evolves. But like the reason I'm hedging so much and describing it is it's just all totally unclear at this point. The Justice Department has been very clear under Garland that they don't want to talk about what they're doing, that justice is done in private, not in public, at least investigations. Uh, and so there have been virtually no leaks. There was no warning. The Biden administration reportedly wasn't even told that this was happening until after it happened. Uh, and so it's just, you yeah. know, it's all a, a gigantic mystery, I think, right now. We don't we don't know. I think the most important question, not just is like what the documents were, but why they wanted these particular documents. Is it just that Trump shouldn't have had them at home and they need to bring them? I doubt that. That's a pretty ticky tacky reason to launch a truly massively game changing controversial raid. The bigger 
question and the bigger, the more likely possibility in my mind is that those documents were part of some broader investigation into criminal wrongdoing by the president or someone close to him, former president, someone close to him. And, and I have no idea what that could be. We can literally only speculate because the Justice Department has been so tight-lipped on this. Yes. So the Justice Department being so tight-lipped on this, Jessica, is that unusual? I mean, the DOJ, the FBI, they haven't issued statements on the matter. They haven't held a press conference. They haven't you know, show them the warrant. Legally, does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think to Zach's point, that's exactly why people were surprised by this, as they should be. Let's compare this to the January 6th investigation. That is a political form. Those are our elected lawmakers. They're holding hearings, and they really are opening themselves up to explaining to the public what's happening. A criminal investigation, again, is a legal process that's very different. In this case, the search warrant is under seal, as is typically the case. If we want to find out about this, the person who can provide us with information is former President Trump. And he who is claiming that there's no basis for this, that this was a raid, of course, it's not a raid, that this is just a political witch hunt, If all of that is true, then there's no there there to the search warrant and he can walk to a camera in within about 30 seconds, show that search warrant. And my sense is that he doesn't want to because it shows that there are very specific and particularized allegations here and that um, there are, in fact, that the evidence indicates that there's probable cause, again, that a crime was committed and the evidence is at Mar-a-Lago of that crime. Back to your question of, is it strange that this is happening in secret? Not at all. It shows actually that this is not a leaky ship. The fact that the Biden administration found out about this when the rest of us did is exactly what should happen. And it shows us that the Department of Justice is, in fact, an independent agency. They shouldn't be working hand in glove. We're talking with Jessica Levison, professor of law at Loyola Law School, and Zach Beecham, senior correspondent at Vox. And your listeners, if you want to share what questions or concerns the raid or the GOP reaction to it is raising for you, you can by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or giving us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Jessica, again, as Zach was saying, one of the things that's been widely reported is that it is related to potentially the removal or destruction of classified records, White House records, and so on. How serious a charge is that? So I'm really glad that you looped back to this. I think for the person who's listening to your show, think about it this way. You work at a private corporation, you leave a job, you take a stapler, you take some highlighters, maybe take a few reams of paper. That can be akin maybe to unclassified information. You shouldn't have taken it. It's not yours. You take it and you know we all move on with our lives. We basically know that something like that could happen. Classified information is like taking private priceless, for instance, like taking client secrets. It's much more serious. And so that in and of itself gives rise to potential national security issues. Again, it's classified for a reason because it's sensitive. And so while all of the documents at play here are the people's documents, they're government documents, they don't belong to Donald Trump, they don't belong to any individual, the classified documents really ups all of the, it ups the game here and it makes the consequences 
of these documents potentially falling into the wrong hands and or just not being stored and kept the way they should at the National Archives, much, much more important. Now, of course, we don't, the rest is speculation, right? It's speculation that maybe what happened is that these classified documents were shown to a third party. Again, all speculation because of what we just talked about before. This is a private investigation. It's a legal process. And we don't know exactly what's going on. I think a lot of people are potentially correctly saying, you know, maybe there's more there than just taking classified documents. I would say, I think that's right, but there's no just. Taking classified documents in and of itself is serious. Hmm. Zach was also able to imagine a scenario where Kevin McCarthy calls for an investigation of Merrick Garland and the House follows through if he becomes speaker and so on. And I'm just curious, would he need a legal basis to do that? Besides whether or not you think he has a legal basis for doing that so far, he hasn't shown one, but. Yes. So Congress does, in fact, have to hook their activities to some sort of um, constitutional power that they have when they legislate. They have to hook that legislation to an enumerated power. The federal government is based on we listed it in the Constitution and that's how you get to act. So when it comes to whether or not there's a basis for the investigation, I you know, he could say that there's concern that the Department of Justice is acting as a politicized agency, and perhaps they need to think about whether or not there's legislation that could limit the scope of the Department of Justice, so they need to start these hearings. Or, you know, just thinking off the top of my head in terms of what type of reasons they would give. But yes, and this is in fact, interestingly, a charge that we have seen from Republicans and Trump supporters that members of Congress don't have the power to investigate, for instance, January 6th. Now, of course, that argument would be in that case flipped on its head. We're talking with Jessica Levinson, professor of law at Loyola Law School, and Zach Beecham, senior correspondent at Vox, about FBI's the FBI's Monday search of Mar-a-Lago and also the reaction that it's been getting from some top GOP officials You, our listeners, are invited to weigh in, and we'll hear some of your thoughts and questions after the break. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow, the Inflation Reduction Act. 
which will give Medicare more power to negotiate with drug companies. That's expected to lower prescription drug prices for millions of seniors, and we want to know if you're struggling to afford prescription drugs and have a story to share. You can email forum at kqed.org or leave a voicemail, 415-553-3300. Today we're talking about the FBI's Monday search of Mar-a-Lago, how Republican officials are responding to it, and you, our listeners, are sharing what questions or concerns it's raised for you, or you can also share what impact you think it will have, you can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or you can call us at 866-733-6786. Let me go to Christine in Santa Rosa. Hi, Christine. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. So I'm a criminal defense attorney, and um, while I I, I'm glad that they did a, you know, they, they got a warrant. It seems like it's sensible. I do think it's important to clarify Trump's legal team or Trump himself would not have a copy of the declaration or the affidavit in support of the search warrant. That would have only gone to the judge. At this point, he would have a copy of the warrant, which is like a one-page document that doesn't say why they were seeking this. It really wouldn't explain very much. And then, so that's When you have a search at someone's house, they don't leave the uh, affidavit there. Mm. A return of what they took, and they would have a copy of the warrant. But it wouldn't have the whole declaration that that was confidential and went to the judge. Mm. Christine, thanks. Jessica Levinson is Christine, right? So I know that this varies based on the federal level and the state level, and I'm going to have to double check the reporting on the federal level. My understanding is that there was a little bit more than simply, you know, we need this information. Let me go to caller Peter in Auburn. Hi, Peter. Thanks kindly. Uh, Also an attorney. Uh, There's a thing called particularity when you swear out a warrant. Uh, You're not allowed to have a fishing expedition. Well, we're going to go in and see if there's anything in there. You're not allowed. So can your guest tell us uh, in particular uh, what they're looking for and how they ha- would have to spell out. We're looking for this document, uh, a copy of the uh, Magna Carta or the Declaration, for example, of mm-hmm. independence that you took. A, a particular document, not we're going to go in and see if there's we can find anything. And also, uh, how does your guest know that Joe Biden and the White House did not know about this until he saw it on TV? Who, who told her that? Uh, okay, well, Peter, thanks. So a couple of things. I think Peter was wondering if you know the, what particularity was used or if also you could talk more about how they have to spell out that particularity. And uh, then we can take the other part about Joe Biden. Uh, but that was actually something that was released by the White House, their, their, their statement and response to what happened. But But go ahead, Jessica about the particularity piece here. Yeah, absolutely. So I think if we work our way backwards and we kind of reverse engineer, well, why do you need to spell something out? Why can't law enforcement just say, we're we're undertaking an investigation. We think this information is really important. Judge, let us go ahead and go in. It's because we all have constitutional protections. We all have Fourth Amendment protections against unreasonable searches and seizures. And again, while there's equal justice under the law, we can imagine that everybody's very concerned about this when it comes to what's going to be something that you and I talk about on the radio, a highly publicized search of something that's never happened before, the former president's private residence. So what would you need here? I think what we're looking at is somebody who maybe has talked to law enforcement and said, 
I've seen these types of documents and they are located at Mar-a-Lago. So not just, I think the president of the United States took information that he shouldn't have taken when he left the White House. We're looking for something, and I hope this is responsive to the question, that's a lot more specific, right? We're looking for, I've seen these types of documents, you know, they're labeled classified, or I know he shouldn't have taken them. I've seen them recently, and I've seen them in this place. And I think the time period is also something that's important for us to think about for a moment, because there's been reporting for quite a while that the former president did, in fact, take documents that are the people's documents that don't belong to him. And so what changed now to require this search warrant? And one of the things that could change is that it became clear, and again, we're just guessing at this point, it became clear that Trump and his legal team were not handing over the rest of the documents that law enforcement thought were taken and that they thought that they could no longer pursue a subpoena, that they just weren't going to voluntarily turn this over. And that's why you would need a search warrant in this case. Well, Paul writes, does taking classified documents bar you from holding office again if found guilty? Great, great question. And so this is there's a confusing answer, which I will try and make very clear. The answer is that under the part of the federal law that we're looking at, there's a federal statute. And it basically says, if you take certain documents that you're not supposed to, or if you destroy certain documents, or if you harm certain documents that are government documents that you're not supposed to take, one of the punishments is that you're disqualified from holding future public office. That would include the presidency. And so when this news broke on Monday night, there was a lot of kind of social media chatter. Oh my goodness, you know, let's look at the punishment here. Let's take a step back and remember that when it comes to who can be president, the qualifications are listed in the Constitution. Those qualifications say you have to be over 35, you have to have lived in this country for 14 years, and you obviously have to be a citizen born here. And what we know from the Supreme Court and what we know from the basic structure of our government is that you can't by congressional statute change those qualifications. So that's a long way of saying, no, I do not believe that even if you, even if he's convicted under the statute that we're talking about, and it says that one of the punishments is disqualification from office, given what the constitution says, I do not believe he'd be disqualified from office. Let me go to caller Garrett in Oakland. Oh, really quickly, just to respond to Peter's, the second half of Peter's question. Zach, how do we know that the Biden White House was not informed of the search in advance? Oh, we don't know that for a fact. That's just what they said. It could be right. that they're lying, but this would be a fairly uh, high stakes thing to lie about, to, to, right. to put it mildly. <laughs> right, right. Thank you for clarifying. Let's go to Garrett in Oakland. Hi, Garrett. Yes, I was interested in the history of presidents uh, trying to take documents with them after they leave the office. And what I've heard so far, which I don't know how well established it is, is that President Obama uh, had uh, major lawsuits with the government because he wanted to keep a lot of the documents for his presidential library. The same was true of Bush. They never even litigated. He just kept all the documents. And it seems to me that presidents do have some right to have documents that they created themselves. I, I don't know that National Archives should be believed about what the law or procedures are. The other thing is, if it's strictly classified documents, 
the president has the power to unclassify any document, absolute power. So, so it yeah, Garrett, like you're it raising some a, some good points. It, Let me just get Jessica to respond only because she needs to leave us very soon. Jessica? So let's assume that all of those things were true and that we're here going after President Trump, former President Trump. We didn't go after other people, um, although, of course, there was a highly publicized situation regarding Sandy Berger. Um, what would that indicate to us? Well, one route is to say that Trump is just being politically targeted here. And of course, then we have to go back to the fact that law enforcement swore under oath that there's a, again, probable cause that a crime was committed, that the evidence is at Mar-a-Lago, that a magistrate judge looked at this, that then the director of the FBI who was chosen by Trump said, we're going in. Now that's one route. The other route is, okay, let's say we don't typically go after people for taking documents. So then the answer would be perhaps there's more here. And I think this was not a a point Zach was making because he's a journalist, but a issue he was raising, which is that there's been, I think, a lot of credible questions about whether or not there's more here. Again, I would say, quote unquote, simply taking classified documents is a problem. The law is clear that these documents, if the reporting is accurate, that they do belong, again, to the people, not a private person, that they need to be kept by the government. And again, then we have a question of what more there is. Jessica Levinson, professor of law at Loyola Law School, also a host of the podcast, Passing Judgment. Appreciate you coming on to give us your legal analysis. Thank you so much. We are also talking with Zach Beecham, senior correspondent at Vox. And Zach, we are getting a couple more comments. Ty writes, it strikes me that the removal of the documents is the tip of the iceberg and the documents in question likely point to bigger underlying crimes. Scott writes, I'm really enjoying the wonderful irony of Republicans reacting to this by calling it a coup. Um, January 6th, anyone? I'd like to read another reaction. This is from the Twitter account of Republican members of the House Judiciary Committee. They tweeted, quote, the IRS is coming for you. The DOJ is coming for you. The FBI is coming for you. No one is safe from political punishment in Joe Biden's America. Zach, you you started to talk about this a little bit, but just the scope of this backlash, the the range of people who are who are doing this. It's not necessarily MAGA world here that we're hearing from. What does it reveal to you? What did your reporting find? Well, I mean, one thing that I think is important to say here is it's it. Apologies for the siren near my house. If you can hear it, <laughs> no, um, it it's all MAGA world now. Right. Like there is the speculation that Trump is losing his hold on the Republican Party. And one thing that's clear is that's not the case from top to bottom, pretty much with a few exceptions. Mitch McConnell is is the most striking one who had a relatively restrained response saying we need to find out, wait to pass judgment and so on, find out what's what was behind this warrant. Most Republicans have just been all in on this idea that there's no such thing 
as the neutral use of federal power when it comes to Trump, that it must be some kind of persecution of him. It has to be because in their litany of grievances, you have what they call the Russia hoax. You have the January 6th persecution of political prisoners. In their mind, the people who were arrested for participating in January 6th were in fact being persecuted, not people who engaged in a plot to overthrow the government or obstruct the peaceful transition of power. Um, and so it's this, this, this narrative that the government has been captured by nefarious institutions, right? By nefarious actors, uh, including, you know, what, what you'll see alternatively called the regime with a capital R, or maybe the cathedral, depending on how far right and what kinds of esoteric circles you're willing to get into. But the point is all of this stuff, which was like weird internet ideas that I, I'd been tracking professionally because I write about the conservative movement for a few years, has become mainstream in the late Trump era, and especially since January 6th, with astonishing speed. Um, and now there, it is the case that there's a belief widespread among the Republican Party, both elected officials and rank and file, that the entire U.S. government is biased against them. And what they need to do when they take power is turn those weapons against their political enemies. Uh, yeah. And that, that is profoundly dangerous. You've cited an essay by Michael Anton, who is or was a high-ranking official in Trump's National Security Council, and the fact that he is echoing a lot of what you say, someone with that level of of power. And presumably you would think that if he was appointed to that position under Trump would have had legitimacy, a great deal of legitimacy in the eyes of conservatives. Right. I mean, so... Anton's basic argument is sort of twofold. First is that there is a not even just a deep state, what he calls a, a regime or just they, right, that exists and is behind this this effort to investigate Trump, the January 6th committee. He wrote he was writing before the raid, but he suggests that their plan B is an actual arrest of Trump. So I'm sure he feels vindicated right now. Um, and this regime, which consists of the people that really ruled America, it's not super clear who these are. And, and like the conspiratorial overtones are, are very intentional and, and also very troubling at the same time. And that these people, in his view, have no idea what they're doing and going after Trump, that they're going to awaken uh, you know, millions, hundreds of tens of millions of Americans who are furious and stand with Trump and will will fight back against the, them using the government as their tool to repress Republicans and ensure their own hammerlock on power in perpetuity. Um, this idea, like, again, it's the kind of thing that would have sounded like a conspiracy theory, but Anton is, again, he's a notable figure, right? He wrote, you may have heard of this, the Flight 93 election essay before Donald Trump became president, which was arguing that you have to charge the cockpit. No, sorry, using Flight 93, the 9-11 plane that went down as a metaphor, saying you either charge the cockpit or you die, right? Uh, and that was the stakes, right? If Hillary Clinton wins, America dies, is the analogy. Um, and this, this kind of apocalyptic thinking, um, this notion that Democrats are like sort of implicitly moral, if not equivalents, then certainly you can morally analogize them to the 9-11 hijackers, right? This this extremist logic and conspiratorial thinking, it, it, look, it's been part of the conservative movement for a very long time, probably as long as it's existed, but it's become more and more and more mainstream. And in the Trump era, it ultimately became dominant to the point where Anton is not dismissed as a crank for these kinds of ideas, but is somebody who is, you know, a very, very, very prominent figure in right-wing spheres. 
Zachy Beecham is senior correspondent at Vox. You, our listeners, are sharing what questions or concerns the raid, the GOP reaction to it, is having. You're emailing forum at kqed.org. You can post on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. I want to bring into the conversation now Michael Conway, adjunct lecturer at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism. Conway served as counsel to House Judiciary Committee to the House Judiciary Committee during the impeachment trial of President Nixon. Michael Conway, thank Thanks so much for being with us. You're welcome. We've been talking about how Republican leadership has been reacting to the raid on Trump's residence. And I wonder if you think about in moments like this, the posture of Republican lawmakers as Nixon's wrongdoing was starting to become apparent, hints of it were starting to emerge and what you make of what it was like then and now. Well, there's such a huge chasm between the reaction today and the reaction then. Uh, I guess I take one step back, which was the reaction of President Nixon, and he was still... Um, I am so sorry, Professor Conway, but our connection doesn't seem to be working very well with you. Let's try to reestablish that connection, if we could, just before the break. Meantime, let me read a couple of thoughts from our listeners Daniel writes, as another lawyer's two cents, we've got a lot of lawyers calling in, nothing could suggest Trump's guilt more than his statement this morning suggesting that the FBI planted evidence. Let me start going to our listeners, Matt in Moraga, join us. Hi, Matt. Yeah, hi. That, that, that's a great point. You, you know how they're shifting the narrative already to if they find if something's there, they, they planted it. So you, you never win. You're going to never win the, the that narrative with these nuts. And and the other thing I, I just wanted to say is the whole ecosystem and the conservative side, the entertainment complex, it's all a grift. The whole thing. Trump literally was sending out fundraising emails within hours of this raid. It's just they're just fleecing these people, and and the, how they can do it is they just. You know, flat out, there's not really a lot of intelligent people out there in America, as we found out in the last four or five years. And they just keep going back to the well to, 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 to fleece these people. And and, uh, and so the other thing I wanted to ask Zach is, can you explain to me how Kevin McCarthy is the leader of the House Republicans and the guy can't put three coherent sentences together? I've never heard him speak without just stumbling and bumbling. How did this guy rise to where he's gotten when he doesn't strike me as the most intelligent person I've ever I've ever heard? Well, Matt, thank you for sharing thank your opinions on this. And you, our listeners are invited to share your thoughts and reactions to this as well. Right after the break, you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the FBI's search of Mar-a-Lago on Monday, the legal and political implications of it, how Republican officials are responding. We're joined by Zach Beecham, senior correspondent at Vox. And I believe we have Michael Conway with us again, adjunct lecturer at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism. Conway served as counsel to the House Judiciary Committee during the impeachment trial of President Nixon. Of course, you, our listeners, are with us telling us uh, wh- how you feel about the raid, the questions that it's raised for you, any thoughts or questions you have about how the GOP has been reacting to it and the and the impact those reactions could have. Again, the email address, forum at kqed.org. Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram is where you can reach us as well to post your thoughts at KQED Forum, or you can call us at 866-733-6786. Michael Conway, are you there? I am here. Thank you. Oh, the connection's much better now. Thank you. Yes, you were starting to explain how you saw the posture of Republican lawmakers around Nixon as his wrongdoing or as his legal troubles uh, began growing more significantly around him and the posture of Republicans now around Trump. Well, it's quite different, of course. Uh, You know, initially, the Republicans were very supportive of President Nixon. He had just been elected. Uh, winning 49 out of 50 states, and the politics were very much in his favor. But as the evidence began to come out, particularly about the White House tapes, they began to change. But they didn't change radically. And I think what's terribly interesting is how Nixon reacted versus how Trump reacted. Nixon was given a subpoena. There wasn't a raid at the White House to get the White House tapes. He was given a subpoena. And the Supreme Court told him, eventually fought it to the Supreme Court, and they said, you must turn over these tapes for the criminal trial of the Watergate defendants. And he turned them over. He turned them over. Yeah. Whereas we have a president, former President Trump, who's resisted every subpoena he's ever gotten. He, the, the Manhattan grand jury subpoena he took to the Supreme Court, and even after the Supreme Court ruled in principle, he continued to argue about the details of that subpoena. So here we have the Justice Department really with no choice Uh, other than to go and conduct a uh, get a search warrant and conduct a legitimate search to get the documents. So the reaction of the two former presidents is so different. And therefore, the reaction of the Republicans was very different. Interesting. So do you think that the difference is personal principle? Or do you think that there are external factors that are also contributing to the different way Trump has reacted to these subpoenas? Well, both. I mean, uh, President Trump uh, has always had a policy of of delay. He sought to delay uh, every uh, inquiry that he's had. He's fought over having his taxes released to the uh, House Wayne Savines Committee. He lost that in the Court of Appeals yesterday, but he's delayed that for years. Mm-hmm. He delayed the uh, deposition to the New York Attorney General in the civil action. And then when he finally shows up, he takes the Fifth Amendment. 
So what was the purpose of the doy other than to slow things down? So I think it's in his, uh, really his playbook uh, to delay everything, and he delayed the return of the documents from Mar-a-Lago. They got 15 boxes, but they got those a year after he left office, and they were apparently, according to news reports, still negotiating about it. Now, the other thing is uh, the president has a, a very strong supportive base that he can rally uh, and has rallied and is rallying in this case to say that he's the victim of, of some kind of political uh, vendetta by the Justice Department. Uh, Nixon uh, really was unsuccessful in doing that. Uh, he didn't have that same kind of uh, what I almost call a, a cult of a personality to, uh, to rally people uh, to his defense. So I think it's both a combination of what President Trump has done repeatedly in other investigations and his ability to call upon, it turns out, a very broad segment of the Republican Party to support his claims that he's being singled out for a political prosecution. Zach, I'm struck by hearing Michael Conway talk about how Republican leadership and officials take their cue from the president himself, or herself, but himself in these cases, of course, but um, but there has been this narrative that, that Trump's influence, hold, grip on the party has waned. What do you think of that argument? And do you think that's real? Well, I, uh, I published a piece last week saying I thought the idea was ludicrous. And I, you know, I really stand by that. Uh, it just, there is no real tangible evidence that Trump's support is has declined to a significant degree. You can point to some polling at the margins, but on the whole, his average in the Republican primary polls, uh, he, he's a lead of, of nearly 30 points on Ron DeSantis and the national of national polling average. Um, and DeSantis has shown no inclination to be able to take on Trump on his signature topics, like, for instance, uh, whether or not the FBI should have raided Mar-a-Lago or whether such a thing could be justified. And so long as Trump can continue to say, I am being persecuted by the state, I'm the one who stood up for you and look at what's happening to me. And so long as he can you know, continue to position himself and his grievances at be, as being at the center of the Republican Party, which he has, right? And no one, no one can challenge him on it without getting tossed out of the party leadership as Liz Cheney did, or maybe as the party, you know, as out of the party altogether, as many legislators, I believe it's something like only two members of the House uh, who voted for Trump's impeachment on January 6th are likely to be in office again after this primary season, right? It's it's really striking how authoritative he is. Um, yes. And and it's just, there's, there's wish casting, Almost, I think, from a lot of, of pundits, especially, who are just like, I, I want this Trump thing to be over. Maybe finally Republicans will see the light. And that's been wrong every single time that people have said it previously, and they've said it every year since Trump started running for president. And so you should be very, very wary of somebody saying we finally turned the corner on Trump. Well, it's been interesting. Politico quoted a Republican strategist who basically called the search on Mar-a-Lago handing Trump a lifeline with regard to his 2024 run he hasn't announced yet. But uh, they quoted one as saying, unbelievable, it put everybody in the wagon for Trump again. It's just taken the wind out of everybody's sails, referring to people who may have challenged Trump in 2024. 
Juan writes, I think the Republican Party is lying to us when they say that we should back the blue no matter what, because now they want to defund the FBI. The Republicans need to get real and stop lying about their unconditional support for law enforcement because they are showing that they really don't care about the agencies that keep law and order. Interestingly, Zach, you've also talked about how you are seeing these views that you were talking about earlier with regard to deep state and uh, the way that our institutions are completely uh, against Republicans and so on, uh, that uh, that it's actually informing policy. What were you referring to there? I'm referring to something called Schedule F, uh, which your listeners may not be aware of, but it was an executive order issued by Trump very, very late in his administration that would have, if implemented, allowed for the wholesale revocation of protections for uh, lifetime civil service employees, or if not lifetime, professional track more accurately in the federal bureaucracy, and their replacement with political appointees. Basically, it's just giving Trump more power to fire people in the government and hire them to the tune of thousands or maybe tens of thousands of people. This was never implemented because Joe Biden won the election, but there's there's this really um, chilling piece reported in Axios a few weeks ago, written by Jonathan Swan, um, pointing arguing that the Trump people's first one of their first priorities when coming back into office would be bringing back Schedule F and essentially conducting a purge of the federal bureaucracy and replacing thousands and thousands of civil servants with uh, MAGA types and Trump loyalists. Um, The consequences of of this kind of purge, it's kind of hard to imagine, right? Like things like this don't happen in the United States anymore, really not in in advanced democracies where you have a professionalized civil service that takes care of a lot of the basic functionings of government. You know, they make the State Department outreach to other countries and visa processing work. Um, The the people who do the nuts and bolts of of law stuff at the Justice Department, law stuff is the technical term, by the way, that lawyers use. Uh, They staff the interior departments, make sure or, you know, our national parks apparatus working, like all of these basic functions of government that are not based on political appointments, but rather they implement what the political appointees tell them to do and ensure continuity in the functioning of the U.S. government, all that would be wiped away. And instead, we would have Trump loyalists who would be able and, and in fact, willing, based on the way the president, former president, talks about these things, to twist their jobs into political jobs where their aim would be benefiting the political fortunes of their boss and their party. Um, And that is the politicization of government that Republicans claim has already happened, or at least many Republicans claim has already happened, but they would be doing it, right? Like, like it's not real, but they want to make it real. It's, it's sort of like, um, like a look what me look what you made me do theory of politics. Like they claim that somebody else provoked them and now they have to do or, you know, propose doing this really dangerous thing. But nobody's making Republicans do this any more than people are making, as that that anonymous Republican that you referred to a second ago, is making Republicans circle the wagon around Trump after the raid. That's a choice that they made. It's a choice the party's leadership made. They could have gone in the other direction and been like, look, maybe we shouldn't have a standard bearer who's under significant legal investigation, which, by the way, is what they said about Hillary Clinton back in 2016. But that's not the position they've taken. The position they've taken is any attack on Trump is necessarily illegitimate and should be treated as such. And these choices, these deliberate decisions by the Republican leadership, by the people who surrounded and enabled Trump, often those two groups are one and the same, uh, suggests to me that there's the, the 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 party doesn't want to get out of the hole that it's dug itself. 
Well, John writes, please stop referring to this as a raid. It was an investigative search by law enforcement under duly authorized, under a duly authorized warrant issued by a federal judge. Michael Conway, what do you think of that terminology of raid? Well, it's part of the rhetoric, of course. Uh, there, there wasn't a raid. It was completely a lawful uh, event. The searches occur all the time. And a federal judge has to be satisfied with this affidavit that showed there was probable cause for a crime to be committed. But the fact that the necessity for the raid was that the president continues to hold these documents. And I suppose another thing that is a, is a possible explanation is the documents themselves are so sensitive that they don't want them in an uh, insecure, unsecured uh, location. I mean, what if these fell into the hands of, of others? And the government has clearly prosecuted people for uh, having classified documents. We don't know the specific documents, but maybe this whole process is as simple as they want them retrieved and put in a safe place so they don't fall into the wrong hands, whether intentionally or through some malfeasance on Trump's part or just accidentally that uh, they're taken by someone and, and hurt the national interest. So uh, this is the one way to assure it. The Trump and his lawyers have been negotiating this. What's to negotiate? These are official documents. He's not supposed to have them. Hmm. We are talking about the FBI's Monday search of Mar-a-Lago and all of the impacts that it seems to be having, or at least the reverberations, with Zach Beecham and Michael Conway. And you, our listeners, you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Art in Sacramento. Hi, Art. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I mean, it was nice meeting you years ago at an event in San Francisco. I can hardly wait to someday see you in the public sphere again and that way and seeing you up at a podium. It was great. <laughs> um, it was about education. And look, I appreciate this conversation. And one thing I'm thinking about is how in 2016, uh, then President um, elect Obama and the others in the office, they made the comment. And I, I pulled it up because I wanted to make sure I got it right. It was an NPR, NPR said this in 2018 about it, said Obama administration officials have said they worried about appearing to put their thumb on the scales for Clinton. This is an NPR quote, combined with Obama's belief that Clinton would win, their political calculus appears to have boiled down to let's ride this out. And in this case, I mean, I've always been a proponent, let transparency and justice, you know, have their way with us as a nation so that we can make better choices. And that would have helped us from our very inception. I, I, I think our founding fathers didn't recognize where we would be at today, but here we are. And I, I think, I think that I'd like to know how your the people on the panel look at what's happening now with the midterms coming up and pushing forward with justice, pushing forward with, with what's the right thing to do. And yeah. whether I, I mean, I, yeah, and, and that's what they think about that. Irregardless yeah. of the outcome, our nation needs this. Anyway, I'll let go. <laughs> Art, thank you, and uh, thanks for calling in. It really is kind of the question, Michael Conway, here, the question of politicization and this really dividing the country and this having really intense and even potentially violent reactions has been a concern of going after uh, the former president more forcefully but yet at the same time i think art is also raising well what are what's the cost if you don't and i wonder where you fall on this michael conway 
well, that the investigations need to follow the facts and the law and and apply the consequences of that. Uh, obviously, the January 6th committee is doing some of that, and we don't know about the other investigations. I mean, the the official papers, while it's a discrete offense, is really only one of so many multiple investigations uh, that are going to occur here. Now, if there's some notion which some people have expressed that Trump should be pardoned and, and perhaps uh, uh, put an end to this, that's not for the Justice Department to decide. The Justice Department decides whether there's probable cause and uh, for the searches, and then the Justice Department will ultimately decide whether they believe they have sufficient evidence to prove a crime by not just by President Trump, by those who supported him, uh, to uh, convince the jury uh, that he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That's their job. President Biden could step in and say, we're going to put an end to this, as President Ford did for Richard Nixon. Remember, Richard Nixon was listed as an unindicted co-conspirator by the grand jury in Watergate, which means he was a co-conspirator. He could have been indicted. The grand jury decided not to indict him, uh, and President Ford then pardoned him after he left office. So that's a political decision. President Biden would have that option. Of course, the pardon would only reach to federal crimes and not to things like the Georgia grand jury. Kara tweets, someone on Twitter pointed out that Republicans rallying around Trump have not once said he is innocent. This seems very significant. Is this significant to you, Michael Conway? Uh, It it is. uh, They're not really defending him on that basis. You know, uh, the other piece of the news was that uh, President Trump took the Fifth Amendment uh, in his deposition to the New York Attorney General. Uh, If you take the Fifth Amendment in a civil case, which that is, not a criminal case, criminal case, you have an absolute right to do it. Civil case, uh, a judge can draw an inference that the facts would have been uh, unfavorable to you. So, you know, if you couple that with the fact that they're not saying he's innocent and in the civil case, he's taking the Fifth Amendment, which draws an inference that his testimony would be detrimental to him. uh, It's pretty hard to make the case. Uh, at least on the facts as we know them right now, that he's so innocent that he should not be investigated. Yeah. And just to remind listeners, the New York Attorney General's office is looking into whether Trump gave lenders and tax officials misleading financial statements about his businesses. And we've heard what uh, Michael Conway thinks about his refusal to answer. Well, Michael Conway, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. And uh, very informative. Michael Conway, adjunct lecturer at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism, served as counsel to the House Judiciary Committee during the impeachment trial of President Nixon. Zach Beecham, thanks to you as well. Thank you. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to be on KQED with you, Amina. Well, glad to have you, Zach. Uh, senior correspondent at Vox was also glad to have Jessica Levinson of Loyola Law School with us earlier in the program. And we are always glad to have you, our listeners. My thanks to Susie Britton for producing today's segment. I am Mina Kim. You are listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.